disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let us pray. Father, um, I want to thank you for your presence. It's obvious. Um, it's like when Sarah was praying during worship, I feel you here. I praise you for the joy that you put in this church every Sunday. Father, this is a place that we can come no matter how rough the week is. We walk in here, and we get uplifted. I praise you for that. That's what church is all about. Father, I just ask that whatever it is that we need to do as leadership to make sure that continues, that you continue to give us that direction. Father, we'll have the obedience to follow that. I've told you from the beginning, I'll be obedient till it hurts, Father, and I'll keep pushing. And I know our leadership feels the same way. There's a lot of this congregation that I know feels that way. So, Father, I'm asking that you continue to pour the challenges onto this church. Because, Father, I know it's humbling us and it's teaching us and it's you doing it. So, Father, I ask you continue to dump that on us. Father, give us the hard stuff. Give us the hard things. We want to grow. Because, Father, we don't want to be, <laughs> we don't want to be a safe church, Father. We want to be a dangerous church. Father, in this moment, you've given me a word. This week, um, it's been hard to put this one together. Father, there's so many questions surrounding this book of Revelation. So many things that we don't even have the answers for. So, Father, I've trusted you, and I will always trust you, to give me the sermon to give this congregation. You've given me a word to put out there today, Father. I just ask again that you continue to reveal to us the truths of this book, each and every scripture. So, Father, in this moment, I'm asking that you anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Father, that you take all my doubt, my lack of confidence, lack of courage father you take that away from me and you replace it with your boldness your confidence and father most importantly your love today I ask these things in your name father help us to love laugh and forgive amen all right Today we're going to continue this sermon series on the book of Revelation, but before we get started, I want to remind everyone in this room and online that is watching, we are not studying this book because of fear. We are not studying this book to get enamored and, and, and out of control with the end times. We are studying this book to simply gain knowledge. Amen? Amen. Each week during this series, I always want to remind us of this, and that we have one major job, and that is to create disciples for Christ. That's what we just read, which was the Great Commission. If we do start to see the church losing focus on that mission, because we're studying this book, 
we will stop studying this book, and we're going to preach eight weeks on discipleship. Amen? <laughs> Last week, we discussed chapters 1 through 3. Uh, we went over who, what, when, where, and why of Revelation with an introduction. And then we discussed the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Now, if you remember, and you need to remember this throughout the entire book, guys, those letters to the churches, that was to them, but for who? For us. Amen. To them, but for us. We need to always keep that in mind. Uh, today, I want to, uh, with time permitting, by the way, we're going to discuss chapters 4, 5, and 6 today. I have to warn you, from here on out, it gets really weird. <laughs> Revelation 4, verse 1. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice that I heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. Verse 1 in chapters 1 through 3, excuse me, I'm sorry, in chapters 1 through 3, Jesus showed John what was and what is, which was past and present, but in, it's very important that we understand right here in chapter 4, it gets reversed, and now it's what is to come, which is the future of what is to come. So verse 1 through 3 talks about past and present. This is talking about the future. Guys, it's very important that we understand this transition right here. Uh, I want to go look at Revelations okay, 2 through 4, verses 2 through 4. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was, a, was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. And the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. Okay, guys. Uh, so John has now been taken to the throne, the throne room in heaven. That's where he's at right now. Obviously, we can read that, but in the throne room. In the presence of God, this is where he's at, guys. Verse 2, I want to talk about this real quick. If you look at verse 2, it says, And instantly I was in the Spirit, and, and, and then he's taken to the throne room. Y'all need to understand, <laughs> the reason he's in the Spirit is because our flesh can't handle that throne room. It's not going to happen. You have to be in the Spirit to be able to get to the throne room. And something that you need to understand today as well is we can get there now. We can get there in the Spirit now. We're going, to talk, we're going to talk more about that, but just want to point that out to you guys. If you look at, uh, let's see, if you look at verses, verse 3, I want you to notice the gemstones that are mission, mentioned, which is jasper, carnelian, and emerald. Okay, jasper is red. It's the stone of peace. Carnelian is red. It is the stone of healing. I think that's pretty cool. You know, last week, is really cool, a man that I, I hold very high regard sent me a text last week right after church was over and uh, he said man it's a great sermon and he said I just love that you didn't preach on symbolism well this week we're gonna preach on symbolism <laughs> I already warned him he's sitting in the crowd I let him know real quick but in the throne room I mean that's what it is that's what it's all about guys but it's pretty cool that these stones we don't think about this but it's the stone of peace it's the stone of healing and then emerald it's green this is what's cool about emerald it means two things it is the uh, stone of renewal so the emerald represents a resurrection or birth into a new and purer life. That's pretty cool. That's no coincidence there. And then obviously, most of y'all know this, but emerald is the stone of royalty as well. Uh, in verse 4, this verse uh, has stunned scholars for years, guys, when it talks about the 24 elders. Okay, 
you know, you look at 24 thrones surrounded him and the 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. Okay, so so many times, again, scholars read this verse. It's like, who are the 24 elders? You know, some of them say it's, it's you know, different people from the Old Testament. Some say that it's 12 men from the 12 tribes of Israel, and then it's the 12 disciples that are also sitting there as well. And, and then people argue, you know, because they say, well, one of the disciples turned against Jesus. Why would he be sitting in the chair? That doesn't make any sense. You know, here, here's what I'm going to tell you guys. We don't know who these 24 elders are, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Here's what I get from this verse. He surrounded himself with 24 men. That's his relationship with mankind. That's how I look at it. He's picked 24 men out that have, I'm sure, gone above and beyond in biblical times, and maybe today. We don't know. But the thing is, it, it doesn't matter, but it's showing his relationship with mankind. Okay? That's how we want to take that. So when people start to argue with you about who these elders are, you tell them you don't know and nobody knows, okay? Revelation, uh, let's see, chapter 4, verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. Okay, so these seven uh, torches... It's telling you here, it says sevenfold spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. Sevenfold, that's, that's the Holy Spirit. So just keep that in mind because you'll see this throughout Revelation, the sevenfold spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. That's what that is. Uh, let's see. Now, right here, guys, we're fixing to go to the next verse. This is where it starts to get a little freaky in the throne room. Okay. <laughs> let's look at verse 6 through 8. In front of the throne was a shiny, a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third like a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. That's some weird stuff, man. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. That's weird. I mean... The sea of glass, real quick, we're going to go in order before I get down to them. Okay, so the sea of glass, guys, this represents purity of God. That's what that represents. Verse 7, I want you to notice the faces of these creatures. I don't think it's ironic, and I had to look this up. I'm not going to lie to you all, but the lion is known as the noblest of creatures. The ox is known as the strongest of creatures on earth, on, on land. And then the human is the wisest of creatures, and the eagle is the swiftest of creatures. So I don't think it's a coincidence that these three strong Creatures represent something of that nature. And the thing is, if you put all four of those together, you got a bad dude, right? Okay, well, you got all four of those guarding the throne of God. That's what you've got. So if they need something swift, they're going to call on the eagle. If they need somebody smart, they're going to call on the man. If they need, you know, somebody courageous, they're going to call on the lion. If they need somebody to get bucked out the front door, they're going to call on that ox. It's just the truth of it. But that's what I think. I think it's so cool. Again, I get it. There's a lot of symbolism in it. But we need to understand this a little bit just to understand the throne of God. The throne room is very important that we understand. Verse 8, covered with eyes. Okay, this is so they can see all things. Those four creatures, which are known as angels, um, those are actually known as angels in, in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Um, and this is the exact same vision that Isaiah and Ezekiel saw were, were these four beings. They're, it's a little different, uh, but I'd say 90% accurate. 
I mean, when you're going up to heaven, you're going to be a little shocked, right? You know, you might miss something here and there. But these guys, these four, covered with eyes, they are watching everything. And they're protecting that throne. And they can see all. It's very important, again, just want to get you all a visual of this throne room. So what we've read so far through verse 8 in chapter 4 is describing the throne room in heaven. I want to give you all a visual. This is the best picture I could find. It's not what I would want, but it's the best one I could find online. If you could show that picture of the throne room, please. This is the most accurate one I found that has the colors correctly. You've got the seven torches. You've got the creatures down here, the angels. You've got your elders surrounding it. This is as accurate as I could get it, guys. And what's awesome is, is, as cool as that picture might be, it ain't going to give it no justice at all. None whatsoever. You know, I, here's what I want y'all to envision. I wasn't going to go here. The spirit that lives inside of you can get there. Your flesh can't. When your flesh is struggling, you have to allow your spirit to take over and get there. Guys, and I'm going to preach a whole sermon on this in a few weeks, and that's why I didn't want to go here, but i got to add this point. Guys, that's worship. I just look at that, and it gets me emotional because I think about how much we struggle down here with the little things we have going on and the power that comes out of that throne room. It's nothing to him. We have to have that mindset. But guys, I'm telling you, when you're struggling down here, just think about the power that's going on in the spiritual realm. I know we got some visitors today, and they're like, this dude is freaky. He's talking about spirit stuff and, all the, and, and animals and creatures. and Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm doing. We're a little weird, but we have fun doing it, okay? <laughs> Guys, just again, I'll preach this sermon in a few weeks. I want to preach a sermon on worship, and we're going to go back here, okay? This is where we're going to go back to. I want to move on to chapter 5, okay? Revelation uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Let's read that. Then I saw a scroll, again, this is John. Then I saw a scroll on the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. That's God. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. I'll show you all a picture of that so you can get a visual of that real quick. There it is. That's kind of what it looked like. Okay? Kind of what it looked like. Similar. After John saw the scroll, an angel asked who could open it. John began to weep uh, because no one could. But then one of the elders said to John, the Lion of Judah is worthy to open it. It's Jesus. I want to go to Revelation 5. We're going to read verses 6 through 7 now. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit. What is that? Amen. Y'all listen. Good job. Uh, the seven whole spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. Verse 7, he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. 
verse 6, guys, the lamb, obviously, that's Jesus. Those sevenfold, the seven horns, seven eyes, we now know that represents, again, the, the sevenfold spirit, which is the Holy Spirit. If you look at verse 7, when Jesus took the scroll from God, all humanity and creation was restored through him. In that very moment, guys, God gave Jesus the authority of the world. That's what was held in that scroll. For the rest of uh, chapter 5, in verses 8 through 14, after Jesus took the scroll, all of heaven and earth worshipped. Uh, that, that's another thing, guys. Again, I'm going to come back to that. I promise you all, in a few weeks, we're going to preach a sermon on worship, and we'll come back to the end of chapter 5 and the end of chapter 4. But right now, let's focus on this. Let's go to chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. This is, there. this is where we're going to get crazy here, verses 1 through. As I watched, the Lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a loud voice, or excuse me, with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain victories. We've now been introduced to the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These four horsemen, guys, this is a, these are the major players of pain and suffering and agony that, that goes on through humankind. Before I go any further, <laughs> I need to bring something to everybody's attention, and it's extremely important. I need everyone in this room, everyone that's watching online, I need, I need your attention. Do I have your attention? Okay. Not everyone is going to interpret Revelation the same. Is that a shocker to y'all? Any of y'all that read this book, you know what I'm talking about. Guys, Billy Graham is somebody that I hold in a very high regard. I think he's the greatest evangelist to ever walk the earth besides Jesus Christ, to be honest with you. Excellent man. Billy Graham believes that the four horsemen are already here, that they've been released on the earth. I've, I have a book that he wrote on the four horsemen that my father-in-law gave me, and uh, that's his belief. And he's got some shocking facts and statistics and verses to back up a lot of that. But then I have another man named Charles Swindoll who I have a huge also amount of respect for, great Bible scholar. I've got a lot of his study books. He believes that none of that will happen until the end times. So you've got two men that I hold in very high regard, very well known in the Christian community in this world, and they both believe completely different. The reason I say that is, is a lot of what I'm fixing to get into, you may not agree with, and that's okay. I'm going to give you guys what I feel is going on at this moment in our earth, and then, and then past that. I'm going to talk about present, and I'm going to talk about future from here on out with these four horsemen. Do y'all understand what I'm talking about here? Yes. Okay, excellent. Let's move along. Let's look at a picture of the white horseman real quick. He's an ugly dude. You know, they say, you know, he's supposed to look like Jesus. This is the closest thing I could find, though, and I'm going to get to the point here in just a minute. So you got your white horse, you got your bow, you got your crown. He is supposed to be the imitator of Jesus Christ, right? The rider on this horse is, he's an imitator. He's imitating Jesus uh, he is known as the Antichrist. Jesus warns us about him in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 5. If you could go to that for me. 
Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name. Many, many, many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah. Not one, many. The Antichrist looks almost like Jesus. He rides a white horse, wears a crown, just like Jesus does in Revelation chapter 19 at the end. That's why Jesus is warning us about the Antichrist here in Matthew. However, the Antichrist is just, again, an imitator. He's a, he's a major deceiver, guys. I want to look at 2 John verse 1 through 7. I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. A deceiver has no power, guys. None. No power. He's all talk and no action. The antichrist is no different. The only way that he gains power is if you give it to him. That's the only way he'll gain power. He was not put on this earth with power until, and we'll get there, there's certain times that God will give him a certain amount of time and so forth in Revelation to go do destruction, but not on his children. Y'all feel me? I want to go back and look at the picture of this white horse again, guys. You know how I said he's all talking, no action? No arrows. A lot of pictures. That's why I picked this one, by the way. This was not the best one, but it was the only one I could find online where he just had a bow. If you go back, and I tell you what, let's see. Go, go back to that verse where it describes him real quick. Just one, one clip ago, Lucas uh, saw a white horse, carried a bow and a crown. He never said arrows. Y'all see this? He's all talk, guys. He cannot have power unless you hand him an arrow. God did not supply that to him. We supply him with that. And we better be on alert because I'm telling you right now, guys, I truly believe that the spirit of the Antichrist is everywhere. David Koresh, Jim Jones, and Adolf Hitler, none of these men had any power until people gave it to them. Christian warriors, again, I truly believe this, that the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well today. He's roaming the earth. He's looking for anybody that will just give him a touch of power. So then he can consume them and destroy them and others around them. That's his job, guys. Got to be on guard. So how do we know the difference between the spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist? In 1 John, it tells us that. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I love these three verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether, you are, whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Again, guys, that word many, many, many false prophets. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. That's why I believe that he's here. I believe that horse has been released a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. He's here, guys. And he's roaming the earth. Now, again, you may not believe me. You, you, you may have a different belief on that, and that's fine. 
I just, this is what I go off of, guys. This is what I look at, and I'm thinking, he's right here. And again, we've, we've read off three names that I have no doubt that the spirit of the Antichrist corrupted. I mean, David Koresh himself said he was Jesus. Really? Guys, and what's sad is, they made a documentary about three or four years ago on Waco and David Koresh. Anybody in this room watch that? Those kids, man. Those mothers. That killed me. That they would believe this guy? These are good people. These are people that love God. They're fooled, though. They don't know God. They may love him. They don't know him. There's a difference because some people love God just because of the fear of God. We know God because of the fear of God. You got to know him. Guys, it's so important that you test the spirits because there's corruption everywhere. So literally, I've explained this before, and I know I have preached on this verse a lot of times, these three verses. So I'm going to tell you the way to remember this is basically, you know, like back in the day, you know, you watch a cartoon, and you got the devil on one shoulder, you got the angel on the other, okay? That's how you test these spirits, okay? Like people literally laugh at me when I say this, but I literally look at one side and I ask that question, I look at the other side and ask that question. And whichever way that I feel is still there, that's the direction that I go. So if I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to make a decision on this. I've got to follow a certain direction. Is this evil over here or is this good over here? So I'll literally, I'll literally speak to it and say, did Jesus Christ come in the flesh? If I continue to feel peace on that side, I know that's the Holy Spirit. If I feel the, the feeling of somebody pulling me, like get away, it's Antichrist. Guys, he is testing everybody in this room, I promise you. Everybody. Let's move on to the second horseman of the apocalypse. Let's read Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. You pull up that picture for me. There he is. Got a long beard, man. That is a long beard. I wonder how long it took him to grow that out. That is an ugly horse. Anyway, that's the red horse. This red horseman represents war. Jesus warns us about this again in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end will not follow immediately. I want to leave this verse up for a second. You'll hear of wars and threats of wars. A lot of that going on right now. <laughs> now listen, guys, I need you to understand something. I'm not one of these people. I'll never, I'm telling you right now as a pastor, I'm not going to stand up here and be like, it's coming. It's going to be here tomorrow. We got to get ready. Guys, that's not our job to know that. It's not my job to know that, okay? I, I'm not God, and he's the only one that knows. Even the son, of, even the son does not know the day or the time. I will never stand up here and be like, hey, we got to go. It's fixing to happen. We got to be ready. You know, listen, I've been hearing that for 40 years. I'm 40 years old. I've been hearing it for 40 years. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to let y'all know what this book says and be prepared for some things, but I'm not going to put that fear into you guys. Do y'all understand me? You live your life the way that God wants you to live it. You go create disciples. You take care of your family. You worry about you, and I promise you he'll take care of you when the end times come. Do y'all understand? 
Okay. So, so, but wars, these threats of wars, we're hearing about that now. And then these things, but, but the end won't follow immediately. He's trying to explain that to people. Like these wars are going to come and the end won't be there right after that. Uh, so the Antichrist, or I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong spot. Let me get back down here. I truly believe this horseman is majorly at work today as well. He's stirring up wars everywhere, guys. In the last hundred years, we have had wars where nations rose up against nations. The obvious is World War I and World War II, right? But these wars are not just being fought between other nations, guys. The Red Horse has also stirred nations to fight amongst themselves. Just our country alone has been divided by race, sex, political agendas, religion, and, of course, money. Just our own country. One nation under God. Our citizens and political leaders are completely divided. And to quote Abraham Lincoln, who was quoting Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, a house divided will not stand. This is what the red horse does, guys. And unfortunately, he's doing a good job. These wars are also not just fought on the battlefields. They're fought in federal buildings, boardrooms, our schools, our homes, and worst of all, our churches. The Methodist church. Now listen, I'm going to tell you all right now, i got some good brothers and sisters over and I love them. They're divided over something that is so simple biblically to back up. And they're divided. Guys, Satan, <laughs> the red horse walked right into the Methodist church. We have to be on guard for this. We can't fight against each other. Good gosh, it just... This past week, I was at the gym, and um, I had a guy walk up to me. His name was Wade. Wade came up, and he had seen one of the sermons that I've preached in the last couple years. I'd never met Wade before. And uh, he came up, and he said, can I ask you some questions about a sermon you preached? I said, absolutely. And he just said, I just disagree with what you said on this and this and this, and I'm not going to go into full detail. But I looked at him, and I said, okay, that's okay. And he started to tell me what he believed, and I said, that's fine. I said, I don't believe that, but you don't believe me. And I said, but let me ask you a question. He said, what's that? And I said, could we pray together? Can we, can we serve together? Can we go out in the community together? He said, absolutely. And a little bit later, we get to talking. We start finding a lot of things that we did agree on. Guys, that's where the red horse has got us. If you can't agree to disagree on little things, he will divide the church. He'll start war in the church. Again, it's like I said today, y'all may not be agreeing with, with what I'm teaching today. But you know what? Come up, give me a hug afterwards. I don't, I don't care. I, I mean, listen, guys, this is how it works. The one thing that we have to agree upon, well, there's two things we have to agree upon. Salvation and building disciples by deeply loving one another. If we can agree on that, I promise you, we can get through a lot of things. I promise you guys that. It's the most important thing. That's our job, guys. We get so caught up in, in religion 
and, and just we get so dug into Scripture sometimes that we start spinning and digging holes that we can't get out of. Let's focus on what matters most. Amen? Let's kick the red horse out. I want to go look at the third horseman of the apocalypse, Revelation 6, verses 5 through 6. When the Lamb broke the third seal, I heard the living being saying, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hands. Uh, and I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. Okay, this, this verse always stunned me as a kid. Like, I'd read this and like, what in the world? He's talking about bread and wine. Like, you know, am I in an Italian restaurant? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> this black horse represents famine and poverty. Jesus warns us again about this horse. Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. Okay. What Revelation chapter 6 here, guys, verses 5 through 6, it's telling us, it's, it's telling us that this horse, at some point with this horse, we are not going to be able to afford the necessities that we need to survive on this earth. Now, I ain't talking about Netflix. I ain't talking about a brand new car. Guys, we're talking about the necessities. You know, there's, <laughs> we're so spooled over here in this country. I'll tell you what, you know. We are so spoiled. Let me keep. I, I believe the black horse has already hit some parts of our world. That's obvious. Um, and I do believe he's getting closer and closer to the United States. It all boils down to, in our country, uncontrollable spending, which causes uncontrollable inflation. Now, I'm not going to get political, guys. I don't like politics at all. I'm not going to do that. But I do need you all to hear me out on this. This is not political. It's biblical. Okay? I need you all to follow that. We have a real problem, guys, in our country. We have a generation of America's, American, excuse me, coming into the workforce right now that are asking for more money and less work. If they don't get paid the money they want, they sit at home. I don't know about you guys, but for me and my house, we're going to go to work. You know, <laughs> Annabelle, Annabelle got a driver's license a few months back. And, uh, and, and I told Annabelle, you know, because Annabelle, she's busy, y'all. She's busy. You know, she worship team here. She's in a lot of plays. She's school. She's got all these things going on. So I told her I'd, I'd give her some gas money. I'll give you some gas money. So I give her $20 a week for gas. That's all I give her. So she gets $80 a month. I just transfer it over to her account. And she said, Dad, what if I want to go to the movies? What if I want to go out to eat with my friends? She said, better get a job. <laughs> the kid got a job. I'm proud of her. The thing is, me and Amanda instill that in our children. If you want something, go work for it. You're not gonna be, I'm not going to hand it to you. It's not how that works. Again, I don't mind paying for a gas. You know, my parent, my mom paid for Thank you, Mama. She paid for my gas when I was a kid. But, the, but if I wanted something else, I'd go get a job. And Guys, that's been instilled in my family. You have to instill in the, this generation coming up, guys. I'm telling you, you've got to be instilling it in them. You have to earn. You have to work for these things. Not going to hand it to you. Our country's falling further and further away from God. That's obvious. And make no mistake about it, the further we drift from God, I want you all to get this, the louder the hooves get of the black horse approaching 
The last of the four horsemen of the apocalypse is the pale horse. I'm going to hurry, guys. I'm going to get through this. Revelation chapter 6, verse 7, and this is part of verse 8 as well. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard a fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and his, com and his companion was the grave. Guys, how many people read this verse and think of the movie Tombstone? I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> the pale horse represents plague and death. I have no picture of this, guys, because I couldn't find one that matched the color. But I will tell you all this. I've seen it one time in my life. Uh, uh, I had a near-death experience like four years ago. I went, I went to, to Florida with my family, and, and they wouldn't go deep-sea fishing. <laughs> I get very seasick. But, but, but what happened was, Mr. Mark, my, my father-in-law, had a cousin, had this big, nice fishing boat, nice fishing boat. They tell me, they say, Micah, no, you won't get seasick on this boat. We're not going to go that far out. You know, you ain't going to get seasick. I get on that boat. Man, you know, that's right for about 15 minutes. I was good, man. About 15 minutes in, we got out there far enough. That land started to look small, and, and I felt myself just moving. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm about to die, y'all. I ain't kidding. Like, I'm about to die. And I'm thinking, they ain't going to get me back to shore in time. I'm going to die on this boat in Florida. My favorite place, at the beach. That's not how I wanted to go, though. Not there. I won't go on the beach. I don't want to go on the boat. You know what I'm saying? So I'm sitting on this boat, man, and I'm laid back on this couch. And, and thank God that he had a fresh water you know, sprayer on the boat. And, and we just doused me the whole time, right? But, but I remember him saying, Micah, you look pale green. I guess that's what it looks like. I don't know, but I'll be honest with you. I didn't care what I looked like. I was like, just get me on land. Like, I was dying. Now, I don't believe this horse has arrived yet, though, guys. I don't believe this horse has hit earth yet, and I'm going to show you why I believe this. Uh, let's look at the rest of verse 8. These two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. Okay. First of all, given authority. Need y'all to get this. Who gave them authority? God did. Why would God do that? He's a just God. We need to understand that. He's not going to do that to his children. I need you to catch this. But he is a just God for those that do not follow the orders that he's put in place. One-fourth of the earth. Okay, so the world population right now is about 8 billion people. So that would be 2 billion people that they would kill. Y'all follow me there? One-fourth of the earth. Y'all follow me so far? Mathematicians? Yeah? Okay. I've got a lot of numbers here. We've never had this mass of a death toll in human history. The three deadliest wars of all time, these are the following. World War II, 70 million. World War I, 18 million. The Russian Civil War, 9 million. That's 97 million people in the top three wars, right? The, the most, the, the, the worst three wars. 97 million, remember that number. That's only 5% of the 2 billion that this writer is going to destroy. Famine. An estimated 9 million people die each year from famine. That's only 0.5% of the 2 billion that this writer is going to destroy. Disease, the three 
Three of the most deadliest pandemics of all time are the following. The Black Plague, 75 million. The Bubonic Plague, 25 million. The Spanish Flu, 17 million. That's 117 million people. That is only 7% of the 2 billion that this rider is going to destroy. That's the top three, y'all. We ain't talking about one. That's the top three. And then the last number, because uh, I had to put it because it's biblical, right at 1,000 people die each year from a wild animal attack. You know, 2,000 years. We'll say in 2,000 years, that's 2 million people. In the last 2,000 years, 2 million people have died of a wild animal attack. They just didn't run fast enough. <laughs> that's only 0.1%. 0.1% of the 2 billion that will be destroyed by this rider. If you add all of these up, this is what I want you to get. If you add all of these up, the three deadliest wars ever, one year worth of deaths from famine, the three deadliest pandemics ever, the 2,000 years of deaths from wild animals, you get 225 million people. That is barely over 10% of what this rider will destroy when he hits the earth. We have not seen and cannot imagine what this guy's going to do. One-fourth. I need you guys to remember that God does allow this. That's his wrath. Again, he's a just God. But the good news is, we as children of God will not have to face God's wrath. We'll be with him in paradise before this horse is released on the earth, or we will be protected from the horse. Revelation 3.10, because you have obeyed my commands to preserve, or excuse me, command to preserve, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Guys, Again, some of you may not agree with me. I am a pre-tribulation pastor. Do not believe whatsoever that we're going to go through this wrath. I believe that we will be with our Father in heaven during that time. You may disagree with me, and that's fine. But that's what I believe. In fact, Billy Graham agrees with me, and, and Charles Swindoll does not agree with me. He believes we're going to be down here through all this mess. Guys, again, here's the thing I need you to catch. You, you personally need to pick up this book and read Revelation. You need to pray over it. God, show me what it is that I need to see through this book. I promise you, all of us sitting in this room right now, we got a packed house. There are around 250 people here. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that if we all read the book, we ain't, none of us are going to agree 100%. I promise you. Read the book, guys. Pray that the Spirit leads you down the direction that you need. What I believe through the scriptures that I study and so forth, and here's the thing, we're going to preach pre-tribulation in a few weeks. That's what I'm probably going to end this series on. And I've got a lot of scripture to back this up. But I also have the verses that the people disagree with me on. But guys, I just don't see where our God would allow us to go through this, especially just reading Revelation 310 right here. This is in the same book. I will protect you from the great time of testing. Protect us. 
So again, if this horse shows up, I, I, I truly believe we're either going to be with him or we're going to be down here and he's going to put a covenant around us and protect us. Either way, our Father in heaven is going to protect his children. Amen. Amen.